If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to continue on our stewardship series uh, here again this morning, and I hope you have uh, continually begun thinking about uh, through the course of the series as you've perhaps picked up one of the stewardship uh, sheets that will be turned in our, at our annual meeting and begin to pray and think about where is it that between you and the Lord that you really need to shore up certain ways in which you use your time. And uh, you may have gone away from last week as I did in my own life and I'm thinking, I am wasting time in different areas. I'm evaluating various things and going, this needs to be cut out. I'm doing okay here, but not so much here. And uh, you kind of get a sense of, uh, ouch, that hurts, Lord. Like, don't talk to me about that. Well, it's not over because our stewardship is, series is not over. And our continued uh, desire of our own soul needs to spill over into not whether just we are ready, which we talked about the parable of the ten virgins last week, but he spills over in Matthew 25 to begin to talk about the stewardship of our own talent. And it's so very interesting as we think about this in, in Jesus' framework as we spoke even last week. Here, Jesus is, 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 knows that his time on earth is short. He's in the, he's in the portion of the early part, uh, almost to the midway point of the Passion Week. The disciples and countless of other followers really believe that Jesus' time, he is going to be king. I mean, I think even in Luke, I mean, just think about this, this expression in Luke 19. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I mean, Jesus hadn't even gotten to Jerusalem yet. And this whole entourage of people were just waiting for the coming king. And Jesus, as he was there, he finds us in Matthew 25. His disciples wrestle with this same reality. And because we spoke about some of this background of the Olivet Discourse, uh, you can understand the, the nearness of Jesus' death, but also the impact it must have had to say, you better be ready. And I hope that as you think about your life, and even reference to stewardship, but your life just as a whole, that you would just continue this thought, not just during stewardship month, but during the entirety of your lifetime, that you would be asking yourself, am I ready if he came today? Would he find me doing things that I should be doing that would, would be glorifying to him? Well, you ever remember those moments uh, where... Uh, I don't know about you, but I played sports a good majority of my life, and you'd always go play. For me, it was pick up basketball, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, two people would be captains of a team, and all of a sudden, they're going, and, and they're picking people. And what was your, your, your reality was you didn't want to be picked what? Last. In fact, I, you're just happy if you get picked. You know, so you realize as the as the teams are being drawn up and people, you're kind of, you know, hoping maybe somebody saw your talent or something and thinking, maybe I'll get on the team. Can I, let me just encourage you for a moment. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ and repented of your sin and shown and, and given allegiance to the King of Kings, 
believer. You're not sitting on the sideline. You're not hoping, wondering whether he'd pick you or not. Because of your repentance and faith in the living son, Jesus Christ, who rose from the day from the dead who shed his blood on the cross, you have been put on his team. You are one of the elect. You are one who has been moved from darkness to light. You don't have to sit there wondering, is he going to call out my name for his team? If you have trusted in him, believer, you are his. Nobody can take that away from you. You are on the greatest team with the greatest captain the one who can command the armies of the hosts of heaven, who holds time in his hands, who has the power to speak into existence everything that you and I live and understand and see through the entirety of our life. Oh, believer, never forget whose team you're on. One of the saddest realities over years of ministry are Christians who have forgotten the team that they belong to. And all of a sudden, they begin to do uh, things they shouldn't be doing. And as a result of a delay of the time of when Christ is going to come and make all things new, they now have been encompassed with sin and they start to go and live their own lifestyle. And you're wondering, I thought they were on the team. And yet now you're guessing and you're wondering, but they don't look like it. In fact, they've taken off their jersey. They don't even want to be recognized as part of the team anymore. Only God knows the true condition of each individual here this morning's heart. It's not for us to judge the components of heaven or hell only based upon what the truth says, whether you've repented and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Yes, I know for years and years I've heard as a pastor from unbelievers as I've evangelized and, and talked to so many people in the course of, of them understanding Christian life. And they will always say this one thing about Christians. They're just so judgy. They're just judging everybody all the time. Well, Christians, we don't judge eternal destination Although if somebody flat out says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ and I don't believe in the, in the truth in which he came to proclaim, we didn't say it, God already said it. They are in a condition unless they, unless they come to repent in Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we are called to evaluate the fruit of one another's lives, to look and examine whether or not we are living consistently with the team in which God has placed us to be on. He chose you. You didn't stand there and say, choose me. <laughs> Out of his sovereign kindness, he looked at my life and at your life, and he knew that we would be destitute eternally to hell. And he says, I'm going to do something about that. And that's what he did for you, Christian. He took you when you didn't even know there was a game going on and he made you aware of it by enlightening your soul to the truths of the gospel where you repented of your sin. Jesus longed for this. Jesus desired for this. As he came down to the final moments of Jesus' life here on earth, 
Nothing more would have warmed Jesus' heart by, by people who would have turned to him and shown allegiance to the king. Matthew chapter 25 moves us into this parable of the talents. Not only then are we called to be people who are ready, but we are called to be people who use what he's given to us. Let's read together Matthew 25, verses 14, all the way through uh, verse 30. Here's what it says. Follow along with me if you would. For it, and it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he, had, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more and saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over, for, over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents and here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter no, scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his, ma his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I, where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and, and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given and he who has an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of leaves you on a sober reality, doesn't it? <laughs> the reality is, is he's trying to draw genuine believers to himself. He wants genuine believers then, he wants genuine believers now. But here's the tricky thing about being a believer is, as we said last week, if you make a profession, it's just not about your profession alone. It has to be about a profession that takes such a hold of your life that is so genuine that you can't do anything else but to live and breathe and serve and use your talents in a way that is pleasing to him. It is so important for us as Christians to live in a way that exalting this king because the reality is what he wants from us 
is our allegiance. He wants from us a perseverance that looks like faithfulness, that looks like good moral character. I long for this. And did you notice this, that this reality is, is really something uh, that he's really trying to enforce on those who are using the talents well? And this is the main point this morning, your main idea, that faithful servants find joy in serving their master. Did you notice that little phrase? I hope you just kind of underlined it. I think we always think about it, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, I don't know about you, but man, I so badly want him to say that. I so badly want him to say, well done. But, you know what I want even more? Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, believer, Christian, beloved of God, you who are serving him faithfully, whether in in, in ways that other people see or in silent where no one sees but God himself. To hear those words, enter into the joy of your master. Oh, that is the day that every Christian longs for. It is the day in which Jesus desired for anyone to experience as they came to him knowing that they would need to show allegiance to the Messiah of the Old Testament, the one who could save their sins. Let's notice something about this particular, uh, this particular sovereign uh, as we look in, in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 15. Notice this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted him his property. To one he gave five talents, the other, another two, to another one, and each according to his ability. Now, this is quite fascinating in one sense uh, as we think about our own lives because it is not just the fact that Jesus desire and has given us talents through the work of the Spirit. Is that before we even get to understand wh- why we want to use them so badly, we get, in, we, get in, we, we get in touch with an individual who is the sovereign king of the universe and his desire is to be worshipped. He said, this man came. Notice the benevolence of this individual. This man, this master, of course, who he's talking about in the parable is Jesus. He called his servants. He called his slaves. He brought them to himself. And could you imagine that particular day? You know, he lines up his servants on that particular uh, moment, and he says, gentlemen, I'm going to be gone a while. You know how much I have. You know the wealth and the storehouses of things that I possess. You have managed them for me. You have watched them for me. I've entrusted them to you. And he walks down the line, and he begins to hand out what in this parable is talents. We'll talk about those and what they were in just a minute. But the fact that these servants were worthy enough to be handed over something from this benevolent, kind, filled with riches of heaven individual and say, I'm going to leave this with you. Believer, he's done this for you. If you are a believer in him and are repentant of your sin, he is allowing you the privilege of 
of, of serving him, and he has given you various things in which he's asking you to be responsible for. And these servants lined up in front of them. Yeah, imagine, I mean, I think, you know, first one comes and, you know, master hands him over five talents. I mean, this is a great story. I mean, I don't know about the second one, like, man, is he going to give me more? Is he going to give me less? He gets two. But here's what you don't see. No complaining. Okay, you gave him five? You're going to, you give me two? And then he gives the other one one. We have the sovereign God of heaven by the work of the indwelling spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, that says he has given each one a manifestation of the spirit. Which means it alleviates this whole single problem I face as a pastor in my entire life. You're ready for it now. Somebody comes to me almost uh, at some point in their Christian walk and they'll say this. I got nothing. I have no talent. So I don't know what to do. I take them right to 1 Corinthians 12 and say, brother, sister, you've got something. I may not know what it is, and you might not know what it is, but you have something that God desires to use. The sovereign king of heaven, believer, has sought you out and has instowed upon you various responsibilities to use what he has given to you in such a wise manner because Jesus knows there's going to come a day of reckoning where these servants, and I think, by the way, in the parable, it was set up in the story to help us realize at the beginning, you think, well, all these guys are genuine. Only to come to find out that only two were and one was not. I wonder, over the course of my own ministry, I wonder, as you think about your life in Christian, in Christian church and amongst a Christian community, I wonder, at times, how many people we might have classified as genuine who were not actually genuine. That on the day of God holding people accountable, that some may hear those frightful words, you wicked, slothful servant. See, because anybody can make a profession. Anybody can say the words. Anybody can go ahead and be with Christian people. But not just everybody puts their profession that is now in their, the spirit who indwells them their evidence of that is that they want to serve him wherever God has placed them. They're not complaining about whether or not they're teaching a class or whether they're teaching a Sunday school or whether they're working in the nursery changing poopy diapers. They're thinking, I'm here, I'm alive, I am to serve. But do you realize that not everyone functions in that kind of way. There are people at times, even within those who call themselves Christians, who will say, you know what? And I've had people come to me before and say, I have the gift of, and they fill in the blank. And if you talk to 10 people around them, they're like, you don't got it, buddy. I don't know what kind of assessment you're, 
how you're assessing yourself or what you're doing, but either you don't have what you think you have. Far too often we have self-proclaiming individuals who say, look at my talent. Look at what I have. Put me in the spotlight. Instead of saying, put me wherever you need help. That's what I want. The countless number of times, Sunday after Sunday, that we meet regularly on a Sunday morning, and we got a whole wing of the building that is being served by people who say, I don't care where it is, I'll hold a baby, I'll change a diaper, I'll clean up puke, I'll, 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 I'll have to deal with uh, random questions, I get to do this, and no one ever knows it. And yet the God of heaven is looking down upon that and saying, this is so good. He's given you and I these really important facets to our life, and he's given us things to use. And, and so often, uh, when we think about this, we do it void of thinking about the person who gave the gift. The gift is not about self-exaltation, it's about Christ-exaltation. If you find yourself ever in a moment where you're saying, I want to do this, or I want to be in ministry, or I want to, and you fill in the blank, and it's only so people can see your qualities, you're doing it for the wrong reason. But if you do it so that they can see him more clearly, and you do it whether anyone recognize you or not, whether they recognize it or not. You don't need a pat on the back. You don't need this. Uh, you don't need someone to come up to you and say, oh, but we love you. You're my favorite. You say, you know what? I'm going to serve him regardless of what anyone thinks because he has bestowed upon me the honor of being adopted into his family and, be, and, and allowed me to be the child of the king. You're part of this, of God's story, God's plan. This master is so good. You realize he didn't have to do any of that for his servants. He didn't have to give them talents. He didn't have to say, be responsible. He, he could have done none of that and he would have been just as good. But in his kindness, he goes, all right, I want to I let you guys do some things, and I want you to be part of what is going on. And Christian, don't you believe this? Don't you think about this in your life? When he chose you, and you repented of your sin, and you think to yourself, didn't you kind of think like this? Like, like, you thought he was talking to somebody behind you. Like, me? No, 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 no. You don't want me. Oh, Individual, if you're here this morning and you think to yourself, he wouldn't want somebody like me. He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know the sins that I have, I have done in my past. He doesn't know the people I've been around, the kind of sin I've been involved in, the kind of life that I've wasted. He wants you. I know, it's, it's incomprehensible. You think, no, no. He doesn't like people in his kingdom like that. Well, then I don't know what we're all doing here. Because that's exactly the kind of people we all are. People who get caught up in our sin. People who can't see clearly the king of kings. And he rescues 
people in whom he loves, and he fixed his gaze on them and allowed them to be adopted into his family. Come, Jesus said to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That rest can be yours if you repent of your sin and you turn to the king of heaven and you, and you demonstrate allegiance. You bow down before him. You confess of your sins and you say to him, God, I, I have nowhere else to go. My sins have encompassed me and you are the forgiver of those sins. And you ask him. And you know what he's going to say to you? Forgiven. Doesn't that still just blow your mind, Christian? That when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Even when you come to salvation, he does it. And then he just doesn't go, nope, it's just a one-time thing. No, it's an all-the-time thing. You get it in the moment you reach out to him and you can confess your sin. And yes, that means that we still struggle with ongoing sin. This sovereign, is this master who's kind and he's good, he's caring and he's wise, Notice that he distributes the talents according to each ability. You know, that's one of the things I find fascinating about the parable. The, the guy with two talents wasn't just like, hey, I mean, you could have thought three. I thought I was worthy of three. <laughs> and yet he's, he knew the ability of his servants because he knew them so well. He had watched them. He had looked over them. They had cared for his estate. And now he goes, okay, I know what to give you to be responsible with so you don't make a mess of things. <laughs> and he doesn't give each one of us the same thing. And he does so not because he's not good. He does so because he knows us so well. That's an act of kindness. I know you and I, we grew up in a culture that wants to think our qualities are far greater than what we actually are. You may look in the mirror and think, oh yeah. I'm looking in the mirror saying, oh no. <laughs> this is what you got to work with. <laughs> and in his kindness, he knows how to distribute things because he is that wise. He is just and he'll hold the person accountable. So when the master went away, he, he said to these servants, I've got to go. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to return. And of course, as we've been in the Olivet Discourse, we realize that Jesus was setting up the reality that there was going to be two comings. His coming now was not to set up the kingdom. He was going to die for the sins of the world. And then he was going to raise again from the dead, and he was going to enter and go and prepare a place for us so that we could be with him forever but he was going to come back. This sovereign who is just will one day come back and you and I will give an account for the things that he has given to us to be responsible for. It really ought to settle quite heavy on our hearts as Christians, by the way, that we're going to stand responsible for what he's given to us doesn't mean we should live out of fear. <laughs> we should live understanding that time is short and I have to be responsible with whatever it is he tells me that, that he's given to me so that when I stand accountable for him that I can honor him with my life. 
The sovereign is good. Let's move to the servants. Now, you'll notice my PowerPoint slide isn't working, so if, if you guys want to move it, we're going to move to the slide of the servants. Notice these servants, of course. The, I, I, I like this and as, as we walk through it. In verse number, in, in verse number uh, 16, he says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. I mean, if you want to, underline this. <laughs> at once. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like he got this five talents and he was looking at it going, I wonder what I ought to do with this. This will be interesting. At once, he knew exactly what he should do, and it was to be responsible with what God had given to him. Now, the whole issue comes up is what is a talent? Now, the challenge with it is, is the talent is really not an essence of money more than it is an essence of weight. So when you're thinking about it, it's not going to define for us what the exact talent is. In fact, we're, because we understand it's a weight, is a certain amount of an extensive amount of money. In various other parables, Luke chapter 19, uh, we see the parable of the ten minas. Uh, we also see these other areas where he had given servants uh, a, a day's wages, which was a denarius. Many people think that, that the talent was this incredible amount of money that was a considerable amount of wages. And so to get five talents of weight of resources from the master... Okay? And, and I think this is important because talents always don't signify money. You know, I mean, long, long have I thought to myself, God, I think I can be entrusted if I win the Powerball by never buying a ticket. But he knows. Okay? Now, the reality is, is as you think about a talent, especially what the master's household included, it was far more than money. It had all kinds of intricate ways, land and livestock and ways in which people were, were using all kinds of different abilities. So the weight of the talent is something enormous. And the, and the individual and the faithful servants were characterized according to the reality that they went at once, both the one who received five and the one who received two went at once and they began to use what the master had given to them. Notice these characteristics of these faithful servants. One, they responded accurately. They didn't delay. They didn't say, oh, maybe I'll give that some prayer for a while. They responded at once. I wonder how many Christian people who are here this morning, who are in the body of the chapel, who are members of the chapel, who are saying to themselves, I just don't have time for that right now. What? We don't have time to serve? I wonder at times how we delay at things going, well, maybe, maybe another time in my life. There needs to be a level of urgency in the Christian community to say, how can I be of service to another Christian brother or sister? That might not be, that might be in ways you didn't expect. That might be just in the reality that you're targeting and trying to be an encouragement to others, a helps to people, uh, various components of administration or mercy or a host of other ways where you can be used in people's lives. But for you and I not to go out and say we have something, I've got to use this, if we don't have that mentality, that's not faithful. 
These servants of the living God and, and of Jesus Christ responded in a way that was accurate to their position in Christ. They not only responded accurately, but they remained faithful. It was a decision that impacted their lifestyle, not just a moment in time. They didn't just say to themselves, well, I'll, I'll try it for a month. I'll see if I like it, and then I'll let you know if I want to continue. I wonder how often sometimes people try things as Christians, trying to exercise things, and then it doesn't happen as quickly, or they're not being used the way they thought, and then they abandon it, because they were trying to get something other than just glorifying God. These servants remained faithful when there was a delay in the coming of the one who they would stand accountable for. Please, Christian, don't sit here this morning thinking to yourself, I have time, I have time. I have time. Jesus said, talked about time so many times in the Olivet Discourse to help us realize your time and my time is short. Use it wisely. They responded accurately. They remained faithful through the life of their servitude because they were genuine, but they were real. They weren't fake. When people saw their lives, whether it was in and around the people that they knew, or someone else in the community saw them, they were the same person. That ought to be said about those who are faithful servants of the living king. There should be, when we come together and you see each other as a body, this should be the real you. Not the, re, the, the you that you put on a good, happy face. It should be the real you. That doesn't mean that all the times we're going to go through that and the real you doesn't go through real struggle, real suffering, real pain, real heartache. It's the fact that when we're genuine and we're honest and we're caring for one another, we don't have to be afraid of what other people are going to think. Oh, this is one of the most blessed things about being part of the community of Christ. Is I don't have to to lay prey my mind to this reality that I'm just going to fear if people find out that I'm not perfect. And you ask my wife, she's going to tell you. That is so true. And you know what? The, for you and I, we live our lives even within Christian community that is encompassed with this thought that if I showed them the real me, I'm not sure that they'd accept me. Well, see, these servants... Are, are, when you're standing accountable and accepted before the king of heaven, then what more do you want? Yes, are people going to say things that are hurtful? Are, are people not going to respond at times in a way that's, that's kind and merciful and caring? Well, if you've been around people who are still in process, you would say yes, because you've probably been hurt. You've probably had someone say things about you. But that's less concerning to you than what the king of heaven says about you. And how you're using your talents. These individuals were real. They weren't fake. They didn't put on a show. They didn't come to Christ because that was the cool thing to do. They did it because their heart was changed and they wanted to be used by the king of heaven. Notice, I love this reality of their reward. I mean, here they come back one day and 
And all of a sudden, after a long period of time, as the story goes, the master suddenly returns. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is making an intention to say, at the end of all things before I come, even then, people who are here on earth are going to be doing things that aren't pleasing And for us as believers, even now, even as we wait the rapture of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what, we are waiting and one day he's going to come. And he's going to, we're going to be lined up as servants in some kind of way and and we're going to stand accountable before him. And I love what he says to those servants. Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, you're probably pretty excited if you're the guy who had five talents and you brought five more. I mean, you probably wished for six, but you got five, and you got, I mean, you made way more than given to me. Oh, for the five servant, the second servant, they're having a little party in their room thinking he's back, he's back, we're going to give it to him. He comes, they probably had a smile on their face. I mean, then he comes to them and they offer at, at, at this, the master's feet the talents of, uh, back to him and even more. And the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Good is the essence of good moral character, and faithful is the essence of perseverance. You did it even when I was gone and no one would see you, and that your moral character of a changed life shone through, and you persevered, and you waited for me to come. Well done. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. He says, I will set you over much. Now, this is just an interesting reality. That your life and my life here on earth, that the things we do to use our talents and serve the king of heaven will be then evaluated on a sovereign level. And he will say, you have been faithful in much, and now I'm going to make you faithful here. And you will continue to serve the king of heaven in a different capacity based upon how you served him here. It has eternal ramifications. Now let me make clear on this. It has eternal ramifications for the genuine believer because their, their desire is, they're not working their way to heaven. Please don't hear, think this, and they're thinking about the talents. Oh, they just worked their way into heaven. No, they were already real. The evidence of their genuineness was how they used their talents. That's a big difference than saying, I got there because I used my talents. What Jesus is saying These faithful servants were slaves of the master, were so genuine, so real, so deliberate that they got to experience the reward of that deliberate walk with him. And and a good portion of it was just the fact that you get to enter into joy 
of the master. I don't know about you, but I get tired of, you get tired of being in pain? I mean, I mean, I think, man, one time this, this uh, last week, I tweaked something uh, in my back. Have you ever had those moments? And you thought, what is happening to me? How long will this last? And you start to say to yourself, like, it's going to be gone one day. Like, even all of the little pains and difficulties and suffering we have, we will enter into a joy in which they, they will be no more. If we're real, if we're genuine, we're not working our way there, but we're enjoying what God is doing. Then he comes to this last servant, and I can only imagine in the sense if he lined them all up and the five gave him his and the two talents gave him uh, back what belonged to him. And both of them was said, what was said, well done, a good and faithful servant. And, and, and they said, enter into the joy of, uh, of the master. And, and now this last servant comes up who is a very different kind of servant. It reminds me of Luke chapter 19 when he gives the parable there, which is in a different context. And he lines up servants there after giving them the 10 minutes. And he gets to the last servant. And, and then in the Greek text, it says something like this. And then there was a servant of a different kind. A servant of a different kind. And the but here is adversative in the reality that this was a different servant. This was a different kind of servant. Different than the first two. Different than what, what we have now seen in the parable. And now we walk through this and we see the, the level of unfaithfulness. Now, just notice this. He walks through in verse 23, or I'm sorry, in verse 24, he said, uh, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid the talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, you wicked and slothful servant. The servant viewed the sovereign king of heaven and he looked at his master and had an entirely different perspective. You're a hard master. You're going to take things that, don't, that, that, that you shouldn't take. And his whole perspective permeated his life. And he did what many people did in the first century when they tried to hide a treasure as they buried it in the ground and they remembered where it was so that when the master came back, they'd go. And you remember, this servant likely heard the master's return. He's like, okay, now I got to go mark my spot. I'm going to dig it up. And he brings his one thing back, the very thing that the master had given to him. And the master is saying to him, what's this? At least you could have done as given it to, to, to a, a banker of some sense, and at least the money that I had could have made some interest. At least you could have been that prudent. But I think the classification that Jesus gives is more alarming than anything else. You wicked and you slothful. Here's why. Because Jesus doesn't count the righteous as wicked anymore. Jesus is identifying a servant of a different kind. A servant who didn't, wasn't a genuine believer. A servant who seemed to not care. His characteristics were completely different. He had a wrong perspective of his master. He was totally ignorant. He was fearful of the master when he would come back. He was fearful of the possibility of doing something wrong. Oh, if I do this, I'm going to get it wrong, so I better just not do it. I wonder how many Christians do that. Fearful of not knowing what to do, and instead of figuring out how can they learn, instead he just buried it and went on his day. He was completely irresponsible and inactive. 
He didn't even do the minimum, the master said, which was to the master illogical, unthinkable, nothing, which reveals the most alarming characteristic is a lack of sincerity. It was completely insincere. And yet, never, you know what? All the other servants up to that point would have not known it. Now, why is this significant for us? Our talents are given to us, believers, to be used. Let me just ask you this basic question. Are you using them? Are you in, are, or are you just making excuses why not to use them? Don't fret over the reality of you think that God, God gave you something. Okay, this is, an, this is not an incessant search of spilling out spiritual gift testing. So don't go out this afternoon and think to yourself, I got it, I know it's in there. You know the best way to find it? Get busy. You know the best way to find it is not to self-assess and say, I have, and you fill in the blank. It's to say, with other genuine believers around you, what do you see? What do you see in my life? Do you, do you notice that, you know, I'll often go up to people who, who uh, over the years of ministry, and, and they won't even know it. I've been, I've been just watching them, like, seeing how they're caring for people. And I, I will come up to them and say, do you realize how good you are at this? I mean, I've been watching you. I've been listening to the stories of how you've cared for these people. Uh, you are really good. You know what most of those genuine people do? Oh, no. Come on. I think you, you probably caught me on a good day. They don't want to receive any level of praise for it because they just want God to be praised for it. Get busy, Christian. And here's what you often find, and I, I've told this to people for years, is that you have a lot more likely than just one thing. You've just maybe only found one thing right now, but as you continue to minister, you're going to find, well, I like that, and all of a sudden you're like, I like that. And you start to get busy, and you realize that the equipping and the indwelling of the Spirit of God has, has, has given you far more than you could ever ask for. And you don't have to wonder, well, I wish I would have got four. He knows exactly what he's given to you. Use it responsibly. Don't want more. Don't exercise less responsibility because you might think, I have less. Be responsible with what you know God has given to you. Everybody, every Christian can give that kind of an effort in their sincerity. Don't use excuses of, I don't have time for that. I'll get that in next season of life. And just practically, just keep in mind, we do go through seasons. It's okay. Like there are seasons that you have more availability than others. But the danger is when all of a sudden you just, all of a sudden one season where you're less available turns into a lifetime of how you live life. Evaluate responsibly what you have. Give it to the Lord. Don't let yourself say, I'm just going to allow that to become a lifestyle of slothfulness where I'm just going to pay attention to myself. Use your talents for him. Using your talents says something and reveals something about your heart. Using your talents wisely results in God's glory and, by the way, joy for you. The more you use these for the master's use, the more joy you have. 
Now, don't all rush to a sign-up at once because you want the joy. They're coming on the annual meeting, and we want to even do a better job as a church at finding ways to put the body to do the things that God has called us to do together so that you and I, we can be used and serve alongside each other. Using your talents is a mark of your own spiritual growth. It's not optional. It's expected. So don't go away and think, well, I hope so-and-so is listening. Hear these words of Jesus and say, i got to use these wisely. He knows me. And as we, as we do that, let those words ring in your ears. Enter into the joy of your master. There will be one day where he comes back and you and I will enter into glory. And in the meantime, while he is waiting to return, for those in whom he's made his children, ask yourself this question. Take some time to pray about it. Fill out your stewardship card and ask yourself, what are you doing with what you know God has given to you? And evaluate it wisely so that you don't end up being the wicked, slothful servant who was not genuine, who wasn't real, and we know the ending of the story was that Jesus says, take what they have from him, give it to the one who has many, because he's not real, he's not sincere, he's not going to use it for my glory. And send this wicked servant to the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is making a very important point to say, what we do matters. It demonstrates the fruit of our salvation. It doesn't save us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. But I'll tell you what, when you read the book of James, it certainly includes doing the things God wants us to do. Christian, go out. Evaluate your life. Ask yourself, what are you doing with the talents God's given to you? Are you using them wisely or are you wasting them? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, for your glorious grace that we have a master who sees fit to entrust us with the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, that he alone, Lord, will judge rightly and he will help us to use them. We are not left alone. You've given us your son, the indwelling spirit, and you've given us the body of Christ. Lord, help us to evaluate our lives so that we use them in a way that's pleasing to you. In your name we pray, amen.